I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. How you doing, podcats? Adam Buxton here. I'm out for a walk on a beautiful mid-November day in 2018. The sun is shining brightly. It's cold, but the sky is very blue. Not a cloud in sight. And just a few hours ago, I was walking with Rosie out here yesterday afternoon, and. It couldn't have been more different. Oppressively grey skies, as if all the light and joy had been vacuumed out of the world. But now it's really, really nice. And the problems of the world seem far away. How's your week been, Rosie? I've done a satirical song about Brexit. Can I play it? No way! Oh, go on, it's called I've Done a Poo on the Backstop. Right, look, Rosie, this isn't Radio 4, okay? This is a forum for highbrow conversational discussion chat. Why are you trying to suppress my freedom of speech? I'm not. Look, all right, you can play it at the end of the podcast, okay? Okay, thanks. Oh, look, there's a partridge. I'm coming for you, partridge. All right, see you later. I'm going to tell the listeners about podcast number 84, which features a rambling conversation with British comedian, writer and actor Roisin Connerty. Roisin started performing stand-up aged 24, and seven years later, in 2010, she became only the fifth woman, A woman to win the Best Newcomer Award at the Edinburgh Fringe with her show Hero, Warrior, Fireman, Liar. Roisin is now a regular on a variety of British TV panel shows and has acted in Greg Davis's sitcom Man Down on Channel 4, as well as writing, exec producing and starring in her own sitcom, Game Face. All about the travails of a struggling actor called Marcella. There's a link to a little clip of Game Face in the description of this podcast, along with another couple of uh, relevant stinky linkies for you. I recorded my conversation with Roisin just a few weeks ago in October at a friend's house in London, and we covered some of my favourite chat topics including haircuts, celebrity encounters, TV makeup disasters, TV panel show trauma, truth goggles, angry judgmentalism, and chocolate. But I began by showing Roisin my favorite Satsuma trick. That sounds like a euphemism, but it isn't. Here we go. So do you like satsumas? I really do, you know. I like to 
Start at the side of the satsuma. Yep. Uh, peel round. In one hit? In a long doing strip. Some, like you're doing an apple. <gasps> almost like an apple. Long strip until you've just got a, uh, what's it called? It looks like a, a satsuma burger. Yeah, so it's like a, a skull cap of peel on the top. <laughs> peel that off. And one on the bottom. Peel that off. And then you've got... A face hugger from Alien. No, I mean, I like that that's what you've got from that, which is two round circles yeah. and a hanging down thing in the middle that you got. Or it looks like a, a, a scrotum with a long, thin <laughs> penis. How's your day been? It's been uh, okay. I've been running around a little bit. I'm writing and I got to bed quite late. Writing a new series of Game Face. I am, yes. Mm. Um, someone's Googled me before I've shown up. Um, yeah, so I'm writing that. And then last night I built myself a fringe. In, I was meant to be writing. I was, uh, I was sort of in it. I finished an episode. And, you know, then that's the best time to do an edit. And then I basically just did, like, you know, and you, like all the front of your hair. I put it on Instagram. But it took me about, I said 25 minutes because I didn't want to look as mad as I am. I don't know what that is. <laughs> no, you say, you know, when you do all the front of your hair, no. But, you know, when you go, so if you, you go like that... So what I'm doing is getting... The, everyone at home knows, all the women knows. Oh, I hope my dandruff doesn't come off. And then you do this. So Roisin is pulling a big load of her hair forward into the air. And now she is curling it... With my hands. With her hands, almost like a kind of Elvis <laughs> curl in front of her forehead. And then she is pulling it apart so it sits there. I'm going to take a picture <laughs> of this. Hang on one sec. Don't move. <laughs> But I made a really good one last night, but it took me about 45 minutes. Um, so I'd done that. That was work. my... So basically I got to bed quite late because I got involved in seeing if I wanted to get a fringe again, which always, whenever you start thinking about a fringe, I think you always need to make a change because you always say, oh, it's my hair. So I was thinking, oh, right. I probably need to have a little look round. Okay. I don't think I've ever had a fringe. Look really good on this is really funny. I've never do men get fringes? Maybe and you should he, get a fringe. I'll get an Edinburgh fringe. <laughs> Two star Edinburgh fringe. A really short one. Uh-huh. Can I see if can I Sure, see? sure. I mean my hair's a disaster. It's always been like the best hair. Oh no, you've got good hair. Uh, oh you've got good hair. It's thinning out now. No, you've got good hair. Thanks. Yeah, you should be pleased with that. At one point I got just the best haircut when I was about when was it? Towards the end of my 20s, I think, and I had just met the woman that became my wife. Oh. And I went into a random haircut place in Kensington Market. Do you remember Kensington Market? Do you ever oh go God, there? Oh, God, yeah. Uh, off Kensington High Street. It used to be quite groovy. It was a little um, maze of tiny stalls and clothes yeah. shops and tattoo parlours. Like and Camden a bit. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Posher Camden. Exactly. There was a haircut place in there and I went in and I just randomly got like a good haircut. It was sort of short and choppy so that you could just ruffle it up in the morning. Job and it done. it just landed right. It was a bit like, do you remember when Harrison Ford got a short, choppy haircut? Oh, yeah. And he looked really good. It was like, oh, look at that. That's a new way of doing your hair. <laughs> he looks good. I mean, obviously he's handsome, so that was good. But it was, it, everything came together in that moment. It's never been as good again. And now it's back to being a bit long and... Yeah, I've had that. I've had haircuts where I'm like, you, there's a sadness in getting them because you know 
why does it have to keep growing? Why can't it stay? Like, it's like a sort of metaphor for everything. You go, why can't this moment of air just last forever? Because, yeah. you know, within three days, like, oh, it's growing out or the roots are showing. Or... I like your hair, though. You've got um, dark roots and blonde outer bits. <laughs> so is that your, is the dark bit your natural colour? Yeah, I'm naturally nearly like your colour, like nearly black haired. I would say that's raven hair. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty, I was like Morticia at school, very dark, ah. very dark hair. And then I just bleached it up. What about, have you ever had just like a Morticia streak, like a <laughs> white streak? No, I wouldn't, but I wouldn't rule it out. I think you'd be good. You'd look good. I mean, that looks nice already. <laughs> is this weird to be talking about? I think it's good. I like it. Being nice I like about hearing... each other's hair. <laughs> I can tell that it's a conversation you haven't had loads. No. It's amazing watching you root around looking for the language, like the outer bits. <laughs> <laughs> But the outer bits are a much better way of describing the ends, as we say in in the hairland. Yeah, but ends, it's not the ends because they start right at the top and then they go... I know, the outer bits, is it's actually more accurate. Yeah. The last time I saw you was at Edgar Wright's birthday party. Oh, yes. And Edgar had a, a little subterranean room in a fancy restaurant somewhere in the West End. And uh, Gal Gadot was there. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Yes, I know. Did you speak to Gal Gadot? No. I didn't. I hadn't seen Wonder Woman, so I, it was one of those things where it was wasted on me. Like, you know when you're a kid and then someone goes, oh, I was at a party the other day with someone that you loved. Not like, like I had loads of friends, but, you know, they go, yeah, that, who's that one, a singer of a bros? And you're like, yeah! You know, like, and that's when I sort of mentioned to friends and kids of theirs, I was like, oh, Wonder Woman. They were like, what? And I was like, I hadn't seen it. So yeah. she was sort of wasted on me. Right. Yeah. So you didn't chat with her? No. Did you? No, I would be too frightened. I just thought, what can I possibly say to Wonder Woman that she's going to find? I mean, that is my first problem already is that I'm thinking of her as Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's entirely my problem. I'm sure she's a perfectly nice, intelligent person who you could talk to about anything that you would talk to any other normal person about. But it was too much. I couldn't deal with it. Really? Yeah. I just thought, nah. But this was I When really... you start, I mean, she's Spanish, she's an actor, she's very famous, she's Wonder Woman. I thought she was Israeli. Sorry, little Google. But yeah, that thing where I see people and they can just walk across a room. And I think people think I'm quite confident. I could never, ever go and speak to someone that I didn't know. She's Israeli, you're quite right. Yeah. I'm, I apologise <laughs> for my ignorance. You see, that would have been me. I would have gone up and said... Hola, Gal So you're from Spain. I've been to Spain. How do you like Spain? Do you like tapas? And then she'd walk away. Now, I imagine she'd be really polite. Because, you know, at a birthday party, that's sort of... The problem is that with birthday parties, you have to be nice to everyone because they're the guests of the person. So, right, they're friends of the of Yeah, the it's not like you're in a club guy. or, you know, you're like, yeah. excuse me. You know, you have to be like, hey, it could be their cousin. It could be... So you have to give everyone yeah. the benefit of the doubt of like, well, you know, you're vouching for everyone at your birthday. That's right. You're the, you know... You've said they're good. The other person I saw that night was Orlando Bloom. I apologised, Edgar, about just using your birthday party as <laughs> a crap name-dropping exercise on my podcast. But Orlando Bloom, the Bloom Box. I saw him on the stairs. Yeah. Very briefly, yeah. He came over. All right, check this out. This is just a tidal wave of name-dropping. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was sat with Stephen Merchant. Yes. Who I hadn't seen for a while. Having a nice talk with him. And... Um, Orlando Bloom suddenly l- blooms out of the darkness. 
and he was wearing a kind of groovy sweater, I remember, crazy brightly coloured geometrical shapes. And I, I was thinking, wow, no one in the world could have gotten away with that sweater <laughs> except the Bloom Box, who's very, very handsome and sort of just uh, perfect looking. And he just leaned over as I was talking to Stephen, completely interrupted our conversation and just started speaking to Stephen. But in that moment, caught himself and just thought, oh, no, hang on, that's rude. And so looked over at me to sort of acknowledge, you know, sorry to interrupt. And then he looked at me and sort of did a bit of a double take because he obviously thought, oh, hang on, you look familiar. But he didn't know who I was, which I get quite a bit. People are (laughs) like, oh, you look a bit like... Usually people think I'm Saul from Homeland. (laughs) Um, But... uh, Yeah, he gave me a weird like, oh, I think I, nah, I don't think so. But instead, because he had been a little bit on the rude side, I would say, no disrespect, I don't want to fight you. (laughs) He's going to definitely want to fight you. I just was able to stare at him with impunity. Do you know what I mean? I just thought, ah, fuck it, I'll just stare at him. (laughs) I just thought, look look at you. You are in Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, And there you are in front of me. And who was he in The Lord of the Rings? Was he Legolas? Yeah. Yeah, look at you, Legolas. But imagine how that level of fame must be quite, like, terrifying to have that level of scrutiny, mm-hmm. you know, like, that. I think, at a party. Because you would, you notice every bit, you're like, and then they didn't sit down, you know, that sort of, I don't know, like, you yeah. know, the sort of... When you become an object. And, like, are they good or bad? We right. need to know with famous people, good or bad, like, good or evil. Orlando Bloom, evil. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely evil. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> You just do one every week. <laughs> yeah. Just have loads of like evidence that you shift through yeah. of people's anecdotes of meeting this famous person, and then some at the end go and like like an Uber score, and then just at the end be like, yeah, that's right. It's terrifying. Evil. <laughs> You've done live at the Apollo, haven't you? You've done live at the Apollo, haven't you? You've done live at the Apollo, haven't you? That's what I'm going to say now. You've done live at the Apollo, haven't you? Mm. How's that, walking out in front of that crowd? Well, I've got quite the story of my live at the Apollo. Go on, then. I've got to be careful how I say this. Um, no, you don't. I've I... just called Orlando Bloom evil. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I did live at the Apollo. I was on stage for about two minutes. So uh... this is for people who don't know. Sorry to interrupt. Yep. Live at the Apollo is a, uh, a huge British stand-up showcase on British television. Yes. Yeah. And so I was on stage for about two minutes and you go through the smoke and it's a big like, welcome to Live at the Apollo. It's all smoke and stuff like that. And I had a couple of jokes and obviously you've gigged this set a lot, you know, in the last few weeks. I thought, right, play for the cameras at home. (laughs) And I can feel sort of the flop sweat starting. I don't really understand the energy in the room and I'm trying not to be worried about it. And then I hear like, Roisin, Roisin. I thought I'm being heckled. So I'm just like straight down the lens, but quite manic, quite like, this is going to go great. And then I looked to the side of me and there's just a man like walking across the stage and he works for the show, but he's walking so slowly that obviously afterwards my sister said he'd been walking across the stage for about 40 seconds and you're doing material and no one knows what's going on. And he says, oh, sorry, uh, one of the cameras blew up. We have to go again. So my mic's cut. So the audience would just be like, what's happening? And um, so I sort of come off and I'm like, what's happening? And I'm sort of in a state because I'm going to have to choose this material to open the show again because I have to come through the smoke and the doors and all this stuff again. And it's taken quite a long time. And, and I sort of go backstage and the, the makeup lady comes to try and fix my face. And I was like, honestly, I couldn't care less. I was like, I've got to 
you know, work out a joke to, you know, to go through the smoke again. So I go back on stage and it's fine, you know, the gig's fine. I'm obviously rattled. There's bits you can see and I'm, <laughs> there's a bit when I'm, I'm like, hey, oh, come on, my hello is like, <laughs> I just sound insane. I'm like, oh, we will. Like it's so, <laughs> it's so awful. Um, and then it goes all right, you know, it's fine, you know, sort of get through it. So not a bad edit to be fair, but I come off, my sister's like, uh, what's with the makeup, mate? And I was like, what? And then so I go to the bathroom. I've just got sort of a completely different colour nose to the rest of my face. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, the long and short of it is, I think, somewhere along the line, Ramesh Ranganathan was the other host on the previous show. And they have powder and stuff. And uh, I don't know how it got, you know, maybe I used it. I don't know. I don't, but but basically I don't wear powder because I get psoriasis. So I only normally put powder on just before I go on. Yeah. Because you get ready, you know, like an hour before, whatever, it just comes out. So I think it might have been in the dark and they have R's. They put like an R on the powder or something like that or... I don't know, but right. basically... So he's very dark-skinned. Oh, he's an Asian man. Yeah, and you're light-skinned. I'm a Caucasian woman. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then basically, they see you had my nose, is how they dealt with no. it. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it came out, my love at the Apollo, I was at, and <laughs> basically my Twitter just blew up with why she had a nose job, what she'd done to her nose. Google image, Roshan Connolly live at the Apollo... You can see they've just taken the bone out of my nose, but imagine that moving around a stage. <laughs> it's quite something. But people were like, why did she fix her nose? Oh my God, yes. As soon as you Google it, <laughs> just even on the still image, it looks weird. <laughs> so that's moving around a stage. You look like a skull or something. Don't I? It's mad. Oh, and I've got quite a small nose anyway <laughs> for my face. I've got quite a big face. And like, so I don't know how it got on me. I'm not saying it was a makeup lady because I'm sure she wouldn't have done that. But I, you know, somewhere along the line, I ended up with the wrong colour notes. <laughs> <laughs> that still's very good. Look at that. I mean... With your eyes wide open. <laughs> look at the bone. Look at the bone in my nose. <laughs> <laughs> it looks as if you've had a horrible accident and they've just stuck a tiny prosthetic nose on at the last minute. If you see that moving on a stage... <laughs> It's quite something. People are like, what's going on? And my Twitter was just, at first I thought, oh, maybe it wasn't. Maybe the camera did. And then it was just like, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. God, how stressful. I get freaked out whenever I do TV because I do it so seldom now. Yeah. I always think to myself, oh, no, I'm I'm fine. I'm comfortable with my place in the world. I'll just turn up and... You know, you you imagine that you're going to be like Bob Mortimer or something. You know, you just sit back and take it easy and just be silly. No, I get really, really nervous and my brain empties and I start grinning like a tit. And I, think I can't that's, do it. I ha- that happens to me. That's what I feel like as well. It's that, that brain freeze. You're not usually left struggling for something to say because you've got loads of material. Yeah. But no. on those panel shows where you're supposed to respond to what everyone else is doing. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I mean, you've been on quite a few of them. You've, you've done uh, Have I Got News For You? How yeah. was that for you? Because I did that and it was a nightmare. I've done it quite a lot now. You know, I've done it probably about eight or nine times. Have you? Yeah. So the last few times, I've sort of enjoyed it because I, well, the first time I did Have I Got News For You, I got really roasted on Twitter and it really 
because I brought lots of friends to come and watch me do it. It's so naive, you know, so this is quite a few years ago, it's eight or nine years ago. And I had a really good record, you know, because there's, there's less people than most panel shows. There's only two on each side, isn't there? It's like, you know, whereas most panel shows, you can have five, you know, three on each side. And then the edit came out and it just kept showing me laughing. I just remember my gums kept showing up on the screen, like really close, like hatefully close. <laughs> HD gums. Yeah, and, but not me speaking. And then I remember it being, you know, at my house, people watching, and I saw my best friends looking at each other like, uh-oh. It's been a real learning curve, I think, especially when you first go on them. You're the least famous person in the room, you know, as always. You're sitting next to people who've got writers writing with them all week. You know, they, they're millionaires based on this, you know, looking like they're just on the spot. And you're like this woman who everyone's like, oh, women, especially at the beginning, you know, like, who's the girl? But actually, some of them now I've got, you know, I'm not as frightened of them. You know, I sort of, I don't, I read a great thing Kevin Bridges said, and it really eased it for me. He said, my job is to be funny, not to make space for me to talk. And I thought that was quite liberating. I was like, yeah, if I don't get a chance to speak, then it's not my fault. It ruins everything. If you're like, <laughs> so I was just like, oh, if I don't get a chance... That's just a, that's a format problem, isn't it? You know, everyone's sussing each other out, that kind of. And so the more you do it, the more it's a little bit like you work out stuff. And at their best, they, I've had some real fun on them. At their worst, they're really horrible. They can mm, be, and they, uh, you lose a, confidence. Really, you feel, yeah. especially when you are the guest on the show and you're not famous in the way that they are, is if they just, you know, don't laugh or look out. Because the audience go by their reaction to you, you know. And I think the best shows are those. I like watching the shows where they're getting on with each other and having fun. Like, you wouldn't be like, I want to be in that gang. Especially if you're doing topical. I think it's quite hard to make sure, I would say, to not change the shape of how you write or do your material. It can be dangerous, I think. I couldn't get a writer to just give me a line People will know I didn't write it. I can't really yeah. do like, I don't, but, but. <laughs> you know, you need to let people have their shapes and some shows don't. They're like, no. Exactly. Know. I know exactly what you mean. And that's the nice thing about um, Dictionary Corner on 8 out of 10 cats for me. Is You're so great in it. You're it's so a great. corner and I can just exist on my own. It's one of the few shows, <laughs> I think, uh, Cats, where alternative comedians, just through Dictionary Corner, which is quite, you know, says something about the sort of state of our TV sometimes is that you go Dictionary Corner is one of the few places where alternative comedians can come and do a bit mm, on, yeah, on mainstream true, telly it? on tele- without it being like you know on a mainstream you know everyone's watching it television show you go yeah lots of those people who are brilliant award winning comedians like yourself you know you can't go and do Mop the Week <laughs> you know you <laughs> but yeah. you know you can't no, exactly. it's sort of you know exactly you're not giving them the and shape and I can no right. longer do Have I Got News For You <laughs> Did you not enjoy it? Oh, it was terrible. Being funny, I, like you know, it's being funny in the way that doing the stuff you want to be funny at. Sometimes, mm. like you know, if you get a topic and you go, I don't want to talk about the Iraq War. I don't want to be funny about that tonight. I'm not in the, like, why am I talking about? Exactly. You know, like it's just a thing. Like sometimes you, you've got an idea about it, but you know, it can feel quite. The topics you choose to talk about reveal just as much as how you tackle them. So sometimes you do a panel show, you talk about things that you go, why must I be brother? I mean, my main problem, I think, is that while you were saying the word topic, I was just thinking of a chocolate bar with a hazelnut in every bite. Oh, lovely. Do they still exist? I don't think they do. Snickers have got very small. (laughs) I've really noticed. And then I watched a Seinfeld episode the other day. They got smaller and you got big. I ate four the other night. So I'm blaming Snickers. Are they really? Did they come in different sizes? I know they come in extra big sizes. No, they're they're like this big now. Like, are a, you sure you're not just getting them out of a no, I've family got, pack? I've really, I've really had a Snickers buzz on. I get quite a like when I get on a chocolate week. 
uh, I know it's one chocolate I want, and it's just Snickers. It is a very superior bar. It's a, it's a meal. It's like a meal. It is a meal. It's a well balanced meal. And then I watched a Seinfeld episode recently, the one where Elaine's boss eats the Snickers with a knife and fork. Okay. And I was like, look at the size of it. It's like a big old plank of chocolate. That would be nice in an airport to get. A Snickers the size of a large loaf of bread. Oh, my God. And if they were sliced like a loaf as well. Why don't they do that? Why don't they do? What the shit is going I on in the world? I think you go to a baker's yeah. and go, do you want a slice of Mars? The world is upside down. I think we've established that some panel shows, especially Have I Got News For You, can provide a person with one of the most traumatic experiences <laughs> they will ever experience. That, that completely puts in the shade a lot of what other people talk about. Uh, as being hard in life and also that chocolate manufacturers are missing a massive trick exactly by not creating especially for you know obviously everyone's saying oh people need less sugar the population's getting obese come on be realistic (laughs) (laughs) market forces demand large bread-sized loaves of Snickers cut into sections. It'd be really nice. Imagine like a party, you get there and you go, you bring out there a cake, but it's just a massive <laughs> Snickers bar. <laughs> and for breakfast, this is what the future is probably going to be like. You'll have, in, instead of toast, you'll have two slices of Snickers. And then on top of that, you'll put jam and honey and things oh, like that. Not and honey. butter. Not honey. Not honey, honey gets, honey's so overrated. Oh, what? It doesn't pull its weight from oh, the press it gets. Roshin, you... Ah, oh, we were going on so well. It's not. It's what a, are you talking about? It sort of starts off. It's got all the hallmarks of a of sugar, and then it sort of takes a real spicy little turn. <laughs> so it's too savoury for you. It just goes like you're That's like, your mm, that's sweet. Oh, there's a lot of taste around that sugar. <laughs> you're not eating the right honey. I've got. Man- I'm on manuka at the moment. That's not bad. But you have to like. You can't really taste manuka, it. Manuka. That is. That's healthy honey. Yeah. It's torture. What other honey are you going to have? Nice honey. <laughs> nice, thick-set honey. What would you have it on, porridge? Nah, toast. Come off it. Of all of the things you can spread on bread, you're going to go with honey like we're in the Middle Ages. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's absolutely amazing. I could amazing. think of ten more things. Buttery toast with some honey. Holy Christmas. And also, I went through a phase that I just had to stop after a while because I could tell that it was doing me no good health-wise. It was in the morning I was getting um, white bread and not even toasting it and just putting butter on and then a load of thick-set honey that was so thick-set that it sometimes threatened to bust up the consistency of the actual bread. You know, I was getting tearing. So it was a really long, drawn-out process. I had to warm the honey a little bit so that it wouldn't tear the bread. And then it would flop around very satisfyingly. Yorkshire tea and my two big bits of bread with honey. Party time! (laughs) And then I'd get a tummy ache and I'd want to go to sleep. (laughs) I mean, yeah, we didn't have a lot of white bread. My mum's Irish, so we had a lot of soda bread. Very Uh, sort of, very, um, now very trendy kind of bread. But growing up, like, why can't we just live like normal people, mum? Yeah, she was trying to look after (laughs) Yeah, why why can't we just have this... Mum was always say like bread's meant to break. She likes it when they crumble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's right. She's right. Yeah. So, yes. Excuse me. <laughs> Just doing a little wind uh, management. Good. Thanks. I had to start doing that, um, burping myself. <laughs> like a big baby. Yeah, before I go to bed. Sometimes I lie down and I think, oh, I'm getting indigestion. I have to sit up and just like <laughs> sit there in the dark on my own thinking, oh, it's got to be more to life than this, winding myself. <laughs> 
I don't think there is, you know. So, yes, you mentioned your ma and the fact that she's Irish. Obviously, you have a very Irish name. Yes. But I was thrown off, of course, by your North London accent. Yes. Because you grew up in Camden. I did indeed. Good old Camden. Did you ever see the Nutty Boys wandering around? Who are the Nutty Boys? Madness. Oh, I did, yes. Yeah, did yes, you? Yes, I did. I saw... All in formation. <laughs> <laughs> So funny, everyone in Camden sort of like, you know, in New Jersey, where everyone, I imagine everyone sort of makes that they're related to Bruce Springsteen. Everyone right. in Camden sort of like, yeah, he's my cousin. So, you know, everyone's sort of related to madness. Yeah, it is. Sort of, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, I saw them a couple of times, just like near the station. You know, it's not that many times considering. I mean, Jazzy right. B was also from Camden. Jazzy B, that's right. And um, in Ireland, I was a very a big liar when I was a kid. A liar? Yeah, but really like, really. Were you? Yeah, really loved getting, I'd just tell big lies, very imaginative. Um, I was in Ireland and I was staying in Kerry with my cousin Sabrina and I've, she, you know, she'd gone through bellyfuls of lies and then her friend, Soul to Soul, were very big at the time and I said, oh, Jazzy B lives near me. And then uh, she was like, oh, cool, cool, you know, and I looked away and I turned around quite fast and I saw her sort of doing the thing to her friend, like miming. She's Right, and I was like twizzling the finger at the temple. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I was like, I do. And then I got back, and I think I must have been like nine. (laughs) And basically, good to see someone doing that, is it? (laughs) (laughs) But the rage, um, I basically just stalked Jazzy B, so I knew where he lived, and then just sat outside his house, and I had this like little Kodak little throwaway (laughs) camera. And then like, I think his wife or his, someone came up one day and were like, little girl, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm waiting for Jazzy B. They're like, he's on tour. And I was like, oh, you know. But I went there for like three days. Uh, I became quite obsessed with him then, like as a... You were the, determined to prove your friend yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. But I could never really get the evidence um, until Google happened and like about five years, you know, and then I emailed her, my cousin, I emailed her, I was like, this is where he lived, he did live in Camden. So have you stopped lying? Um, yeah, on I the mean, whole. did you tell bad lies or just fun, made-up fantasy lies? Fantasy lies, not right. bad lies. I didn't get anyone... But... It's Jazzy B. <laughs> I didn't want to I didn't you. put anyone in jail. <sighs> That's the outside buzzer for this house. I don't like to respond to any buzzers or rings or anything like that. (laughs) I like to pretend that it doesn't affect me because it's not going to be for me. My wife gets furious at home because I never answer the phone because I'm like, it's not for me. No one calls me (laughs) because they, my friend Garth Jennings sometimes calls me. That's despite the fact that the first time he called me out of the blue when we were towards the beginning of our friendship. I've known him for years and years. But he phoned me up one afternoon and I was like, hey, hi, Garth, how are you doing? And he was like, yeah, I'm good, yeah, I just... Uh... And he started waffling on about some nonsense. And then he picked up from the tone of my voice that I was sort of going, well, what's the point of this call? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just n- not used to having chatty calls. There was a time when things were more chatty, but then I think mobiles ruined that for me. They ended up becoming synonymous with something more functional. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if I was getting a call, it was going to be something professional and it wouldn't be chatty. They took the ceremony out of calls, you know, the sort of someone's on the phone for you. But I FaceTime quite a lot now. So I hear. Mm. I saw you talking to Russell Howard mm. about it, yeah. And you said to him, because he was like, why would you want to FaceTime? And you were like, why wouldn't you? That, that, that is the apex of modern communication, yeah. Sound and vision. And I was thinking, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's exactly my worst nightmare. If anyone ever FaceTimes me, I ignore it. We'll all be doing it. Soon we'll have like holograms and we'll just be like little furry little balls in our house and we'll just have 
people, like the whole <laughs> thing that just goes out and lives, like our avatars. I'm not against that. Sure. Anything that means I can stay in my house, you want to get out into the world and get on the tubes and then go into offices that you don't know and then meet someone who's rude to you on the way. And I'm like, let's limit everyone. <laughs> limit all the... When I'm alone and when I'm at home, that's what I want to be. I, right. I want to be alone. And I want to choose the times when I'm interacting with people. Ah. So, so when someone FaceTimes me, it's like they've just transported <laughs> into my nice, comfortable, lonely space. And I'm like, ah! I can see the transporter beam and I just want to disrupt it and scatter their atoms to another part of the universe. Are you good at replying to emails and texts and things like that? No, I'm really, really bad. It's one of those things where, I don't know, you get to a certain point and you go, am I ever going to get good at it? I don't know. It's not intentional. I don't find it. That's the thing, isn't it? It's not a thing that I'm like, yeah, I'm really bad at it. Like, I'm proud of. I don't mean to be. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm on top of something and then I look down and I've got 40,000 unread emails. (laughs) And at the moment, probably like 400 messages I haven't read on my phone. Yeah. And that sounds like I'm being like humble braggy. It's not. It's just literally not deleting things. That's what happens. It's not like, oh, I'm so popular. I've got you go. No, no, that's what happens if you never delete an email and you stay in hotels and you sign up and give, you know, your email address. you're going to get a lot of junk. Um, something to be pretty intense. And do you get in trouble for it? Yeah. I try to keep on top of it, but I'm trying to be better. I'm trying not to be late as much as well. It's yeah. a thing my therapist is obsessed with. As I was waiting today for <laughs> Roisin to arrive, she was around 45 minutes late, I was reading an article that said, Roisin is very late to our interview and turns up looking flustered. <laughs> I mean, it's a disease. <laughs> you know how you always think of certain things that the topic will trigger just one particular memory. And when anyone talks about lateness, I always think of this interview I read with Ricky Gervais where he said, there's no excuse for it. There's absolutely no excuse. All you have to do is leave earlier and be on time. It's as simple as that. And I remember reading it and thinking, yeah. It's totally correct. But therefore, what you have to believe then is that people who are late are inherently bad and, and sit there like uh, sort of going like this, don't care. That's the thing, isn't and it? And that's not true. Like, that it's quite isn't a weird, true. That fascinating thing. Like, my favourite is she's like, where do you go? Like, if I'm 10 minutes, I'm always 10 minutes late. She's obsessed with where did I lose, you know, this sort of... And I can't, I sort of... It's like I'm quantum leaped. I'm like, I don't know. It was I was on time. And then you have to sort of go over the detail. I picked up my keys. Did I pick up my key? You know, that bit. And then I think that's the thing, is that the last minute That's dithering. what it is. I'm a last minute ditherer. So everything will be fine. I'll tell myself, okay, the train is at 11. It's going to take me 45 minutes to cycle to the station. I've got to be ready to leave the house at 10. I've got to stop what I'm doing at 9.45 in order to prepare for leaving the house. But even then, even after I've rehearsed the timing of the whole thing, it'll be like, I'll just go upstairs and just do that thing because I'm in good time now. So I'm just going to do that thing. And then, of course... And also because of our jobs, like when I had a full-time normal job, it's a lot easier because you go, well, these are the times and your body sort of responds. You go, well, these are the times, you know, it's time to get up and go. But I don't think you get that. Being self-employed, that sort of, you know, I think the people who are very good at it, they're organised people. They plan their day out the night before. They know their... That's never been a natural thing for me. So I've always found it a bit like, what? Where am I going? Where am I? Like, I'll get into cars, like, sorry, where are we going? (laughs) Sometimes I will eventually respond to a text three weeks later. Mm. And I'll say, you know, sorry for the reply lag. Yeah. And I just hope that people understand that it's not malicious. 
No. But it's like when people forget your name. I'm fine when people don't remember me exactly. and don't remember my name. I presume since the internet, our brains are full and we meet hundreds of people and stuff like that. And some people do that thing and I hate it because it's designed to make you feel, I try, but people are like, we've met before. And I go, oh, okay, where did we meet? And they go, oh, we did a gig together in 2009. And I go, okay, did we speak? And they go, no. And I go, you know what? I think that's unfair. <laughs> I need more to go To on sort of be that. like, you know, yeah. like we've gigged before actually. Like basically subtext you're a horrible, you know, yeah. sort of Ooh, shallow. You. Yeah, and you're like, I don't care. I meet people who I've gigged with, you know, and they're like, hey, and I've met them. I don't go, sorry, actually, I've met you before. I'm just like, oh, hey. And if they go, did we meet before? I go, yeah, we don't, you know, it's fine. That's life. I don't imagine I made it into your, like, stormy. I am that important, stormy. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Think the best of people. Yeah. All right. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> We want to be late. We don't want to respond to you. Yeah. We don't. We don't want to remember your names, and we just want everyone to be okay with that. Yeah, I just want to carry on being shitty and not be hassled about. It. Is that too much to ask? It's not illegal to be a dickhead, guys. <laughs> Excuse me, excuse me, that was a wind from down inside me. It has escaped from my inside garden, and now I humbly beg your pardon. Excuse me. Excuse? Excuse me. My mum's got a funny thing that even if I'm far away in the house mm. and I'll be working, and if I burp, and she'll be like, she'll go, <laughs> say excuse me. And it infuriates me so much. She will not let one slide. <laughs> Even if you're... And I say, do you think I should say it on my own? If I'm in the flat on my own, she's like, you should always say it for the habit. <laughs> like, if I just do like a mini, like, uh, she'll be like, I wait, what, five, four, say, excuse me, darling. <laughs> mum. I agree with you. Yeah. Mom. She is from Limerick Drumcolacher. Yeah, Wow. Is that seriously how you pronounce it? Drumcolacher, yeah. Drumcolacher. Whoa, I got halfway there. Because usually with Irish names... Yeah. Forget about it. <laughs> You're not going to... Because that's the other thing, is the people who get all bent out of shape when you've never seen a name before and you I have know. a go at pronouncing it, you're way off. And they're like, yeah. actually, no, it's not like that at all. How offensive. <laughs> Just tell them. Yeah. Um, okay, great. And your, your dad, when he was alive... He was also Irish. Was Irish. An Irish man who worked for Aer Lingus. Yes. Oh, my God, you're literally going through. That's got to, I've got all the stuff. (laughs) So you spent, obviously, a lot of time in Ireland. You'd Mm. go, even though you were growing up in Camden, you'd go on holiday back in Ireland. Cork and Kerry. Now, I went to Kerry for the first time earlier this year because um, my producer, Seamus, his family are from that part of the world. And he very kindly uh, invited me over there to uh, do a bit of writing at their at their house. Whereabouts was it? Kells Bay. Oh, okay, yeah, that's at Nicol Organ. Is it out that way? Carshavin. Oh yes, yes, it is a beach near the beach near the beach. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right on the coast. Yeah, it's beautiful, Uh, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Stunning, very stunning. Yeah, really a magical place. Did you ever go to Kells Bay House and Gardens? No. Did you not? No, I don't think so. Sort of botanical gardens around there. I went for a walk around there when, when I was I might have when I was a child. Ah. But um It's really beautiful. They've got sort of um prehistoric plants and wow. trees that, that that have been planted there and I was hoping you were gonna say, Yeah, of course, I'm always going to Kells Bay House <laughs> and Gardens. 
Because I wanted to share a TripAdvisor review. Oh, share it anyway, though. Do you like reading TripAdvisor reviews? Oh, my God. Who doesn't? And do you automatically just go to the worst ones? Of course. What's the point in reading praise? It's awful. It's a really awful thing as human beings. Well, we've established that we're terrible people. But no, it's not. It's survival. You have to find out the worst things first. Yeah. Also, I just said, yeah, so (laughs) I'm one of the worst people in the world. (laughs) So here is a review I saw that made me chuckle. Terrible Place. That's the title of the review. What shall I call my review? Um, um, the Disappointing House and Gardens. No, no, no. Ah, Terrible Place. Yes, yes. <laughs> terrible Place. We went for dinner there. The service was poor, as the owner, Billy, treated us like children. After a mediocre meal, we decided to go to the gardens. We walked in the front entrance, and the owner saw us walk it. We were not sure if we had to pay, so we looked at him to see if it was okay to go ahead. <laughs> He walked off, so we assumed it was okay to go on. After viewing the first portion of the gardens, we bumped into Billy. He then told us we had to pay. So I explained how we looked at him to see if it was okay to go ahead earlier on. Once I told him this, he replied, Are you serious? (laughs) This man is horrible at handling situations that many businessmen would come across. I.e. people saying, But I looked at you. What? I assumed it was fine to drive the car out of the showroom because I, I looked at you. <laughs> and you didn't tell me not to. Imagine not even, like, when you write a review like that, he's definitely going to, like, limit how much information that makes him look bad. Yeah. And that's his edited version of the evening. Like, imagine that's what makes the print how awful he was. <laughs> Maybe he was uh, By the way, I should say for the sake of transparency, that is an edited version of his review. It's been edited for length, but the original meaning and spelling has not been altered. Yeah. And that goes for this one. Can I read you another one? Yeah. I'm scared about Kel's place, though. Aren't you just going to make people not want to go there? Oh, it's beautiful. No, you, no, need to, you... you need to counteract these No, people. counteract. I had a wonderful time. I haven't eaten at the restaurant, so I can't vouch for it. I'm sure it's fine. It's got many, many, many positive TripAdvisor reviews. This What's six is... points on there? Uh, massive. I mean, it's like uh, just shy of five stars. Oh, okay. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It's great. There's always going to be a couple of disgruntled people who've just been unlucky. And here's another one of them. <laughs> and this one is entitled, The Most Terrible Experience I've Ever Had. Oh. So that's big, isn't it? You're yeah. expecting something massive, but it, it's not that bad. Mm-mm-mm. I'm trying to think of the voice for this one. I think it's going to be similar to the last one. My and my friend's experience with the <laughs> restaurant were unfortunately very unpleasant. We were told we would be situated in the Winter Garden, which satisfied us as it looked pretty on the photographs. Imagine our surprise when it turned out to be freezing cold all night. I mean, I would have said, maybe think about the fact that it's called the Winter Garden. I mean... Anyway. When everyone finally ordered, it took the staff over 40 minutes. We had a timer on. (laughs) To bring us starters. (laughs) That's in brackets. We we had a timer on. That's such bullshit. (laughs) After 1.5 hour, the waitress finally started appearing from the warmer part of the restaurant. (laughs) That wasn't a winter garden with our food, but no one received their main dish at the same time. (laughs) To add more, to go to the bathroom, we had to go outside. (laughs) That's how it's spelled. Unless they're talking about a special bathroom. I like that they say... 
the waitress came from the part of the restaurant that wasn't the winter. The like, like she def- like she defrosted. <laughs> <laughs> when the waitress finally defrosted, she showed That's up. That's right. She started moving. <laughs> came from the warmer climes. Anyway, to go to the bathroom, we had to go outside. It was located just on the right side of the door to the winter garden. Twice, one of us accidentally left the door to the winter garden open while it was cold and raining outside. During the second time, the manager walked extremely angry and fast to the door and with a very loudly slammed the door. Imagine how awful we felt. (laughs) We just did it twice. Left the door of the winter garden open while it was freezing cold and there was a storm outside only twice. And yet, (laughs) extremely loudly slammed the door. He did and we wanted just to go to the bathroom. Can you imagine how awful we felt? Anyway, listen, um, God forbid that those people should be listening to this podcast. No, they should be listening. Be good for them to listen in the light of day when they're going about their lives. Because you think you could just leave these bullets of hate in the mood that you're in. But it's really good for sober, calm you to be, you know, like... You ever seen a text you've sent angry, like, oh God, like, yeah. you need it read out. You need to be like, you need it read out in yeah. a stupid voice. Yeah, someone to go, like, did this need to go? By a little smug twat, yeah. Are you a complainer? I've got better at complaining. Have you? Yeah. It's a skill, isn't it? Professionally, I've had to learn that as well, like having to say, I'm not happy with that. Ah. And it's how you say things. Exactly. You know, and I think once you're sure that you've said it, and that you've been polite about and you've been clear. I find men in restaurants, gross generalisation, but I find them, men who are, this is, like I say, a gross generalisation, don't even go, not all men. <laughs> People who were like, you know, on stage or, you know, say the worst things and da-da-da, and, you know, and they'll have a, a ridiculous meal so that, you know, something like, something's off or something. So, and they're like, well, don't say anything, don't, don't say anything. And I'm like, Oh, that's mad. Just say it. If you're polite about it and just say, sorry, you know, people that would blow your mind, you'd be like panicking about sending a meal back. Whereas I'm just like, I'm quite happy to. I thought you were going to say men are often the ones who do the most unreasonable complaining. I mean, that's been my experience of seeing just blokes throwing their weight around a bit. And they're just like, we've been waiting. uh, This is outrageous. We've been waiting 40 minutes for our starters. uh, All this kind of stuff. (laughs) That's my overall experience however your point is well made and I do feel that I'm probably one of those men that is too gutless to actually just do a perfectly reasonable complaint and that's how of course people improve they rely on you on a reasonable bit of criticism but the problem is that the art of reasonable criticism is not one that is currently thriving in the modern world no people's tendency is to be very harshly judgmental and just dismissive and contemptuous with their criticism, you know, in a way that doesn't do anyone any good. No. Because the other person there or the business that they're criticising just recoils and goes, well, I'm not going to engage with you because you're a dick. Totally. I think it's also there's like, you know, the more you charge, the reviews are harsher. You know, that's the thing. Exactly. the, The more people's expectations are raised, the more they become indignant when they're... Yeah, but I still think, I agree with you, the criticism, the way we speak about everything, that everything should conform to our needs. And it's hard because we live in quite a narcissistic society, you know, that everything should be catered. We're all at the centre of the world. Doesn't this come back a little bit to what we were saying about texts? Yeah. And people getting bent out of shape when you don't respond to them quickly enough or Mm. when you don't treat them exactly the way they think they should be treated or whatever. And rather than just sort of going, oh, okay, well, you know, these things happen and moving on or forgetting about it, people are just like, no, 
Yeah. If you look at Instagram and Twitter, we're all, everyone's sort of running this movie of their life. Everyone's got this sort of narrative going on. I think it's very hard to switch. We've become far more... Um, Aware of and aware of twatish and aware of of ourselves and our needs yeah. and how we're seen and how it's reflected and so complaining is a thing I think you have to and also I think once you're in a complaining mood you get into that zone and I think because of the news the news cycles stuff like that we're all in a kind of like it's all bad and you get everywhere and I think it's sort of I do think it gets into our cells that we're all sort of a bit more like yeah this is all part of it everything's a reflection of you know this sort of conspiracy of it's true. And, and, and I say this in no way to impugn the world of feminism and the way things are going as far as sexual politics are concerned and relations between the genders. That's a very long <laughs> caveat before I say this. But a lot of women talk about almost the, the goggles coming off when they start reading or, or thinking about the way that the patriarchy operates, mm. the way that society is structured the way that crazy assumptions are made about how women should behave and act and appear, et cetera, et cetera. And once you start noticing those things, you can't stop. It's like you're surrounded by this mad, mad world. Uh And you can sort of get sucked into only seeing it that way. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I'm not suggesting that that's... I would rather that people were aware of those things. The alternative is worse. Yeah. But you can suddenly become completely caught up in the idea of and it's also a bit the same with uh, all sorts of other bad things or things that need changing in the world you know you can only see the world through the lens of worrying about those things well totally I you know women and feminism I think is a little bit because I do think that is such a shift in consciousness and I'm saying this is probably white women as well I should say so I do think there are things and I think a lot of us haven't digested so much of it that as you you know we're kind of unraveling and I think men are as well so I don't think it's just yeah. a, I don't think it's just a thing that women are going through. I mean I, I regret all... choosing feminism as, as an example there because it sounds as if I'm sort of saying oh it's gone mad it's PC gone mad which I'm and my not. instinct is to respond like because we're so far away from where we need to be that my instinct is to push back and be like oh no I can't not yeah. feminism but I understand what you're saying though I do get when any movement happens there's always nuance within everything mm. but we're so far away from that uh position we're still unraveling so much of, mm. of our behaviour and uh, what's been happening and how we how we're programmed and stuff like that. I think there's so much still coming out and we're still, you know, like how this works and how the, yeah. you know, it's too soon to say perhaps that's not based on that because we're we're still going through that process. I think and it will take obviously been you know a long time, but in recent years, say with the Me Too and Times Up and stuff like that, I feel like a lot of us have gone through our Rolodexes, not like, not huge, massive, you know, uh, sexual assaults and stuff, but like sort of things that we just took as normal, things we had to put up with as women. And you mm. thought that's just how it is. Yeah. And now hearing young women talk about it, and I'm like, I just, and that feels really, it makes you feel really old because you're like, it's quite a shift. It's quite a lot to take on, you know, to sort of be like, wow, this is stuff you just let go because you couldn't really dodge you just thought that's how it is that's how you have to yeah. sort of be exist in this business how you have to exist in the world and how sort of they're, they're not obvious things you don't have the language for that power struggle you don't have the language for how that the sort of micro things that seemingly are micro but actually end up framing how you behave how you respond how you feel you know and I suppose I'm a little bit like no not feminism <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was a bit convoluted. I'm not very... Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. And as I say, I, I regret using that as an example because it immediately positions me as someone who is in some way criticising that. Mm. And I'm 
Absolutely not. No. It's like anything, you know, when you start thinking about something and learning about something, mm. that's the way you see the world. Yeah. And that's a thing that had to happen with so many yeah. things that are happening now with gender politics and all sorts of things. Totally. You know? But um, it's like, have you ever seen They Live, the film? No. It's a John Carpenter film. And it's about aliens who have kind of integrated themselves on Earth and now they are behind all sorts of inequalities and um, systems that ought to be changed. They're kind of behind the corporations and advertising. It's sort of a science fiction, paranoid fantasy, this thing, right. you know, an allegorical film. And, you know, they'd be behind the patriarchy and all this sort of thing. And this guy, they get these glasses that they can put on. And when they put the glasses on, it enables them to see the members of society that are actually these aliens. And because not everyone is an alien, right? Right. But everyone looks normal without the glasses. But then when you put the glasses on, you can see the aliens. And they're all like hideous skull creatures with flesh stripped away and their muscles exposed, you know. And you can also look at advertising hoardings and things like that. And instead of it being an advert for... Uh, swimwear or whatever with a beautiful model on it. All it is is just a white sign with bold type that says consume. And, you know, yeah, everything is stripped away with the goggles on. And that's what it's a bit like. That's what I was trying to say. And I remember when I was at art school and I was writing my thesis about some aspect of the media, I can't remember what, and I was reading all these books about the media and about television. I read a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman, which is still, I think, considered kind of a seminal text in this whole world of considering at a deeper level how we interact with media and what it does to us as a society. And suddenly that's the only way that I could see the world. You know, every advert that I watched, I was kind of deconstructing and I was saying, ah, look, that's what they're really saying. And it was like I was wearing the the goggles, you know, and all I could see was like consume, obey, submit. And I think that's probably how women see the world once they now that this third wave of feminism has broken. And I'm sure that you can't see it any other way ever again. It's no. a valuable thing. And I think there was, like you're saying, I think, you know, and there's so much going on in the world, isn't there, at the moment? Because it's not just, you know, within white women elected Trump, like the groups which we see ourselves in, I think, are becoming, you know, they're so polarised now. The crossover is seen as like somehow inauthentic and centrist is like a dirty word. And anyone who's like, like you say, puts a bit of nuance, like maybe that's not it and that is it. You know, nuance is a thing that we're struggling with throughout all the conversations about everything, you know, which we all know is a terrible way to have any philosophy and I think the media has you know and everything's a conspiracy my uber driver said to me the other day what do you think <laughs> what do you think about the moon the moon it was this full moon I went it's nice he went yeah, what do you think about it he was like they didn't land on the moon he said the moon's not real oh, the moon's not real yeah he was like, I think, he said, we only see one side of the moon shit. and he got into this whole thing and he and he was he, and he was laughing at himself so he's very charming doing it sort of this very you know was like, <laughs> listen I know it sounds crazy it's just my opinion and I was like yeah but <laughs> You I haven't heard that before. Oh, I've heard this. The moon's not real. This is a huge thing. Like, there's a, a huge thing at the moment where... Oh, was there some guy on GMTV or something yeah, the other day? Yeah, it's madness. And But this is legitimately how we're, where we're getting to with this, you know, level of conspiracy. And that's what I think deep down, 
there's a real sense that there's some secret thing you know, and it could be women they're trying to get everything and then you've got the white nationalists going oh it's immigrant like and it's really sort of like they're coming they're coming for us and that's really in the air and then now you've got you know that's the scary thing that we're not we it's almost like sort of medieval thinking yeah I remember before the election, I just thought, I was like, you know, all these conservatives and stuff. And I was like, well, it's got to be quite old people, you know, in America. So it's got to be this old Republican. And I, I went looking because I saw his rallies and um, I found that Tommy Laron, and she's, I'm probably saying her name wrong, but she was like this 22, 23, a Barbie looking conservative, you know, kind of very blonde, very glamorous, very sort of unchristian right that you would, look, you know, she looked like a Hollywood sex pop. And she was like furious and guns and da 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 and da da da. And I remember thinking, oh, they'll get in. This is a new movement. This is not a thing. This is not this old sort of conservative right making this comeback. This is a youth movement as much as anything, you know. And that's what was really frightening. And I did have a got news for you, as we've discussed. And I said, I think Trump will get in. And Nick Clegg was hosting and they were like, don't be so miserable. And afterwards, we were chatting about it at the bar and they were like, you know, you, you, 50% of the population is women, women. And I was like, not all women hold the same views on what being a woman and feminism is, you know, like, or, you know, or don't care, you know, their religious freedom or their racism comes before anything. So I just felt like it didn't do us any favours to not know I agree with you. But I don't think you should promote it. But I don't, I do think it's your duty to know it's going on. I think we have a thing, you shouldn't be like, when did this start? You know, you're like, well, it's all over the internet, really. If you look, you can see it's there. And you can see that, you know, when you've got, a youth movement, which is what that was. And I think with the far right in America, they're not old men. They're young guys walking around, you know. And that's, I think, you know, and the same with in Europe. It's a youth movement and that is terrifying. I think some people, it's really traumatic to follow people that they hate. Yeah. I follow people that I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep my eye on. (laughs) I started off doing that. I started off following people I didn't agree with for exactly those reasons. Mm. Because I thought, well, it's good to be across different points of view. But after a while, I was just worn down. By yeah. It. And I, I, I just thought, oh, fuck this. And also, it's Twitter. You know, I can get my news from somewhere else. I don't think Twitter is the best medium for nuanced political discussion. Maybe you're right. I think the papers I are too late. I hadn't thought of it like that. <laughs> but now you've put it like that, I think it is the best place. It's not good for nuance, but the because idea... it's th- so quick. I remember when the time of the riots and I was in Edinburgh. Remember the riots in London? Sure, yeah. And I had the BBC on and I remember thinking, you know, like, and I was like, what's happening? And then I went on Twitter. Right, for for news flash, but I'm talking about kind of political discussion and debate and... Oh, yeah. But I also, it just... For actual, for getting factoids. Yeah, great. However, I've read and found people on Twitter I've never would have found and yeah. voices I never would have heard of. Articles have made me change my mind and me be like, or, or made me go like, oh, that's okay. When you put it like that, this is really uncomfortable. I don't know what I think about but that. You would have found those articles elsewhere, wouldn't you? No, I don't think, I'm not, I don't, you know, I wouldn't have looked. It's a thing that's come up and, you know, I don't go looking for, I don't think it's flawless. I think it's quite bad for you. I think it's quite bad for my brain. I don't think it's a good place to be. Twitter isn't a kind of like, go on friendly Twitter, have a little look round. It's like, oh, go on, see what awful things are happening and who's saying awful things. I saw Danny Baker tweeting the other day after, who was it? Oh, Michael Caine was shitting on about uh, Brexit. Right. And airing some, you know, depending on your point of view, relatively odd, wrong-headed views from a point of view of like, you know, what does he know? He doesn't even yeah. live in this country. He's massively rich. 
Um, so people just went for him. Yeah. And they were, fuck you, Michael Caine, you fucking bastard. And you stupid, senile old shitter. And I don't know if they were exactly right. saying that. Well, you, but know, it was you, that know, you know what you tweeted. <laughs> yeah. That, those are the two things I tweeted. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, but Danny Baker was saying, to paraphrase, all right, look, we don't agree with him. Some people do, some people don't. I don't agree with him personally. But it's not necessary to unleash this tidal wave of rage every time someone says something you don't agree with. And he said it's a sickness. Any conversation around politics at the moment, everyone is using that language around any of the conversations we're having in the world. There's no conversation where someone isn't getting told you're going to be the you're responsible for this worst thing that's happening and you're the worst thing and and I think everyone's at that heightened level and I understand because the stakes are high totally people feel passionate yeah I think the conflation of passion and righteous indignation with just rage and, ac- and- accusations I think of saying of shutting down a thing where yeah. it's not a conversation where it's, it's and it, that's what I mean about power. It's like controlling the conversation. And that's what scares me a little bit. At the worst case is a mob can stop someone speaking and we are allowed, unless you're inciting, you know, violence and hatred, you know, and they are precise things. They are not just a different of opinion to you because people can bandy that around. You're like, no, that's just a different opinion. We can't hate half the people who live in the world. You can't live like that. You like, you look at America, Trump governing for the people who he elected and then basically hating half the pop. You know, it's mad. You yeah. have to, we're going to have to find a way where that's how the, our democracies and, in, in, you know, and all their flawed, but they're sort of how they function is that we occasionally we get our way with the government, occasionally we don't. But at the moment it's like deaf to them, deaf to them. And, and it is really serious. You know, we live in these countries with these people, our neighbours. And I think I don't know how helpful it is to be like, once you dehumanise people, once you start talking about like they're the enemy, we all have a certain group of people or a certain type of person that can bring out that in us. Like they are the worst people, you people know. People who don't get back to texts <laughs> for sometimes up to three weeks. Exactly. They are the enemy. They're the evil. Orlando Bloom. <laughs> I mean, we can sort this country out, Roshi. Are you going to be running for office anytime soon? Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> I'll tell you what you would do. Uh-huh. Your first day in office... You'd make a call to whoever manufactures Snickers. Oh, yeah. And you'd say, look, for fuck's sake, why can we not buy a family loaf-sized Snicker bar that comes ready sliced in order to be slavered with Manuka honey? Oh, not the honey. (laughs) Not the honey. All the honey factories shut down. No, 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 no. I struggle with anger sometimes. It's being a human being. Yeah, it is. I don't like lose my shit too often unless I'm at uh, Cambridge Station. I think anger is the most toxic of the emotions. I think bitterness, if you're doing the old emotion scale. Sure, let's do it. I think bitterness is rust. I think it ages you. I think it's the most uncomfortable to be around because... I agree. You can't fix it. And if people are bitter, it's just hard to be near them. Ask my wife. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I think if you are able to sort of dance with your emotions a bit, dance with your emotions, wow. Mm, I (laughs) love it. That's the name of the book. That's right. (laughs) You can live a rich life rather than being scared of your emotions. I think being fearful of your emotions 
being fearful of being out of control, like falling in love. So you don't do things where you go, I can't survive the feeling of it not working. I can't survive that shame. I can't survive people thinking I'm not good. To go into that and go, you sort of can though, it's fine. You know, like they were just feelings and we just, we can work through them. It's only when I think you're scared to work through them, they just sit there unwrapped. So you just got like a box of feelings. Mm, now I'm thinking of chocolates <laughs> again. <laughs> this would be a good chocolate range though, wouldn't it? Oh like yeah. Like instead of heroes or celebrations. Yeah. You could have uh, envy, jealousy, bitterness, and they would, you know, the bitter one would be... <sighs> Honey. No, because that's sweet. <laughs> that would be <laughs> sweetness. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, for bitterness, what are we thinking? Uh, honey? <laughs> I think okay. honey. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> it would be good sweets. They would be great sweets. Bitterness, envy. Anger. What would anger taste of? Um, it would be hot chilli chocolate. Yes. Anger would be that. Love, what would love be? If you were really lame, it would be sort of pink strawberry. No, strawberry, they're the worst no, ones. No, no, Or you could have it really be kind of a bit sexy and dirty and just... No, that would be under sex, sexy. That would be under, like, attraction. Lust. That would be under lust. You just we have, need love. Yeah. It could be for your family. In, in the lust give your one, mama sexy it would sweet. just be something that tastes of... Cheers. <laughs> Wait, this is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area, and spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website, if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Continue. Rosie, come on, sweet dog. Hey, how you doing? When am I going to play my song? Just be patient. Roisin Conaty there. Thank you very much indeed to Roisin for her time. I really appreciated her coming over and chatting with me. It was really nice to get to know her a little bit. Are you going to play my Brexit song now? Just wait, all right? I just want to get a couple of thank yous out of the way. <sighs> Boring. Thanks very much indeed to Seamus Murphy Mitchell for his uh, production support on this episode. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. And thank you to Annika Meissen for additional editing. Annika is a producer vocalist and visual artist who kindly got in touch with me to offer technical support a few months back on the podcast and she's already been a huge help with this episode and some other episodes that we have in the pipe 
So thanks a lot, Annika. She didn't ask me to give her music a plug. Usually when people ask me to plug things, it really encourages me not to. But I thought I would uh, like to give her stuff a shout-out because it's good. Um, To quote from her website, there's a link in the description of the podcast. It's annikamusic.co.uk. Annika has previously featured vocally on critically acclaimed albums by Forest Swords and Faulty DL, F-A-L-T-Y-D-L, electronic artists both, before developing her own solo material and showcasing it at shows across the UK, Europe and Russia. Here's a little taste of Annika's track Life Force. There you go, a little bit of Life Force for you there by Annika Meissen, who helped edit today's podcast. Thanks a lot, Annika. Right, Rosie, what is this song of yours? Finally, it's called Poo on the Backstop. I mean, I know you've had strong political feelings in the past. Where's this one coming from? I don't know, my bum. Okay, we'll play a little bit of it. This is Rosie's satirical Brexit song. I done a poo on the backstop, poo on the backstop, I don't really understand why. I thought while I still got freedom of poo, then I should at least give it a try. When I done a trot on it, lots of people trot on it regularly every day. They said, who's gonna clear up the backstop? I said, well, Theresa May. I done a poo on the backstop, poo on the backstop, everything's gonna be fine. And if they try to make me clear up the mess, I'm gonna do another poo and resign. Right, that's enough of that. Well, there's 28 more verses. There's some really funny stuff about Jacob Rees-Mogg. What, rhyming with dog, right? No, not exactly, no. Well, look, maybe another time, but I want to head back now. It's cold. Fascist. Until next time, we share the same aural space, you and I. Please be careful out there, okay? I love you. Bye!